Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Chronicles to begin with today. 2 Chronicles. In your Old Testament, the Holy Spirit has given us two mighty times, the last two times we've been together, of passionate prayer, prayer orchestrated in and by the Holy Spirit. And I've been uh, led this week to, to speak today for us to look at some things today about the power of concerted prayer. I know that, uh, by the way, one of the greatest, two of the greatest prayer warriors I know are uh, Jeremiah and Gene. What a blessing it's been now that he's off the road with the team for us to have Jeremiah and Gene in the services lately. Amen. And Jeremiah will be preaching for us next Sunday, and we look forward to that message as we always do. And uh, we praise the Lord uh, for His availability to preach the Word to us next week. Look forward to that. Um, <clears throat> but part of what I'm seeing in a New Testament church is very simple. Uh, they had uh, the ministry of the Word by called out men and women who were mature and had a calling, uh, they had the fervent ministry of prayer. I mean, that was not something tacked in or put into a bulletin. There was a fervent time of prayer in the early church. Uh, there, was a, there was worship, singing and praise. And uh, there was the uh, Holy Communion, and uh, there was uh, spiritual uh, oversight. It was not complicated. It was not a machine. Uh, and one of the things that is so powerful about why we're here is that we all understand the power of prayer. We've seen some mighty th look. Prayer is what moves heaven and earth. You can sit under the greatest preachers in the world, but if you're not under the influence of prayer, you're going to miss something. And God has given every one of us not only the right, but the responsibility to pray. And uh, in this season where so many of our people have such critical needs, uh, it's brought to the surface, but it's always there. I tell our intercessory prayer team that they are the key to mine and Dina's success, and I believe that with all my heart. I say this often, I wouldn't get out of bed if I didn't know that I was being prayed for by those who undergird this church and this ministry in prayer, and I mean that. It's that crucial. God give us a revelation of it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 
the occasion is the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built, and there had been enormous amount of sacrifice with the sacrifice of innocent blood, calling the people into a place of intimacy with the Lord, recognizing that it costs something for our sins to be forgiven. But God, in His infinite wisdom, knew that there were going to be times when they would wander away and things wouldn't be so swell. And He talks about those times and when they come, He talks about the temple being the place of prayer. It's a place for Himself. You remember what Jesus said when He was so exercised and threw the money changers out of the temple? He said, it is written... This is a place of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. The purpose of this temple, Jesus said, was a place of prayer. It's at the heart of why we gather is prayer. In fact, God goes on to say there in verse 16, I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. You say, but pastor, in the New Testament, there's no longer a place where you got to go to visit with God. Absolutely. Isn't that beautiful? 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's where you worship. But God has not changed how He sees the importance of prayer. You, in your inner man, in your spirit man, where Jesus lives, is the place of prayer. It's a house of prayer. And God says, my eyes and my heart are going to perpetually be there. So God is looking at your heart right now to see what you're praying about. Think about that. My eyes and my heart will perpetually be there in that house of prayer. But I want you to notice something here. He says in, uh, uh, in the verses 12 through uh, 13 that when things begin to happen, uh, that are out of order. How many of you know that God always desires to deal with love and grace and mercy? But because He's just, if by our attitudes and by our actions we choose to act in rebellion and sin, then understand this, that because we have a just God, there is a price to pay for the rebellion against Him. It's not what He wants but, you know, we can either sow to grace or we can sow to judgment. But God even says when you have acted a certain way, and we will see that that way has to do with pride, it will have to do with evil actions. Uh, he says, even then, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Everybody say, that's me. If my people, everybody say, that's me, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Can I tell you something? This country is in a dire mess. Doesn't take a genius to know that. 
But you know, the only way out of this dire mess is not through politics or Congress. It's through God's people humbling themselves and praying, seeking His face and turning from our wicked ways. We're the key. We're the key. And God said He would heal our land if we would do that. But I want you to notice that the key for us being heard and the power of of prayer. Notice God is saying, if my people, he is talking about those who believe and trust and walk in covenant with him as a group, if my people will humble themselves. What does it mean to humble yourself? Have you ever admitted that you can't make this work by yourself? Have you ever got to a place in your life where you realize that if you could have fixed it, you would have already done it? Have you ever come to a place to where you recognize that you can't be Lord of your own life? That all you've made is a mess. See, if you don't get there, you're never going to get anywhere with God. Because He's not looking for a bunch of polished, uh, perfect people. He's looking for somebody to recognize their need for Him. And admit their dependence on him. He said, you know, if you will humble yourself, the first thing you got to do is admit you need him. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means is you got to quit blaming somebody else for your own issues. See, if you still believe it's your mom or daddy's fault, if you still believe it's somebody who molested you that's messed your life up, if you still believe that it's always somebody else who's made you as broken as you are, instead of coming before God in and of yourself, if you always want somebody else to pay for where you are, you hadn't humbled yourself. Many years ago, many years ago, before we started, or right at the early start of this ministry, well, before we started, I had some people who really hurt me. I mean, it was bad. And I forgave them, but I had a deep bruise in my soul. Can anybody say, been there, Pastor? And uh, I said, Lord, you know what? I have forgiven them, and I've released them over to you. And uh, it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, yes, you have, and that's a good thing. But you're not done yet. And one reason why I can't bless you is because you hadn't gone to the second step that I told you to go. And reluctantly, I said, and what's that? And the Holy Spirit reminded me of what Jesus said there in the Gospels, where he said, love your enemies, pray for them, and bless those who are your enemies, who curse you and do all manner of evil against you. Bless them. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. He said, if you want my blessing to be restored, then you have to obey what I said. So I said, okay, you know I don't really mean this, and I'm not feeling it. (laughs) He knows it anyway. 
I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to obey you. And not only do I forgive them and release them, I bless them, Lord. I bless their marriage. I bless their children. I bless their finances. I bless their business. I bless all there is to know about them in Jesus' name. And I kept on walking. And you know, I didn't feel a whole lot different, but something amazing began to happen. Little by little on the inside of me, I realized I wasn't carrying them around anymore. Do you know if you hadn't forgiven or blessed somebody, you're still carrying them. They're in there. You're still carrying them. But I began to feel lighter in my inner man. And you know what happened? God began to do things to bless me. He began, uh, there, there didn't seem to be that wall anymore. He began to begin to show me his blessing. And the Lord has shown me that what, you, what I was asking you to do is I was asking you to humble yourself and recognize that you are not the judge. That is all me. You have got to commit them into my hands. And you have got to stop acting like you're the judge. Humble yourself. So when I began to do that, quite reluctantly, but the Holy Spirit enabled it when I gave him my will, when I began to do that, guess what? The atmosphere around my life began to change. I didn't wake up or think about them anymore unless it was some vague passing thing. And you know what? I was able to move on, and what I'm finding is that... What, notice what God says, if you will humble yourself and pray, seek my face and turn from your wicked way, I will heal your life. Can I ask you something? <clears throat> uh, how's your business going? How are your finances going? How are your interpersonal relationships going? Do you know that humbling yourself has to do with the success of everything about you? Everything. Everything. When we recognize that we're totally dependent on Him, and He says, seek my face. Don't let anything compete with seeking my face, what I want. Get your attention off of others and focus on me. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll resign from trying to make somebody else pay, if you'll resign from your own agenda of, of trying to get what you want to happen through your relationships, through your business, if you'll resign from that and you will seek my face, whatever I want to do, then I'm going to start healing that realm in which you live. And I'm here to tell you, your land has to do not only with your household, it has to do with your relationships, your finances, your health. Uh, everything about you, you will find that God will start doing some healing in your inner man when you humble yourself. It's powerful. You say, now, Pastor, where do you get that? Well, he'd heal your land. First Peter 5 it says it like this. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the right time. Do you know that what God wants to do is not only give glory for himself, but he wants to promote you. 
God wants to promote you. He loves you. But he can't promote you until you humble yourself and put yourself in position to be promoted. Hallelujah. Understand that the key to authority is submission. Humble yourself and he will exalt you in due season. Well, uh, notice that the reward of be, will be that you will be exalted, lifted up, promoted. Notice he will heal what concerns you. Well, the power, notice this was in the context of God's people humbling themselves, not only individually, but corporately, and praying. Uh, sometimes, we, we, you know, we live in a fallen world. Everybody's saying, well, you know, this happens and that happens because, well, God just ordained it. I'm not so sure about all that. All I know is this, that there's fallout from the fall. There's germs and viruses and bad bacteria and all kind of things. There is fallen genetics as well. You do know that, don't you? I also know that the Bible says that sometimes our, our own physical ailments are an attack from the devil. Remember that passage in the New Testament where Jesus was approaching uh, somebody who, who was really in a lot of, of pain, and he said, should not this daughter of Abraham be healed whom Satan has bound? Whom Satan has bound? Well, what about this? Acts. Uh, hmm. There it is, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So yes, the devil can get involved in physical affliction. So we've got a fallen atmosphere, we've got germs and viruses, and we've got the, sometimes the involvement of the devil. But is there anything more powerful than the anointing of God? James 5, I, I got it wrong on your outline, and it was nobody's fault but mine. James 5 tells us this, not James 4. James 5 says it like this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. But if any of you is in a state of sickness, listen, let him call for the elders of the church, that is, those who are spiritually mature and have a walk with the Lord of confidence before the Lord, and let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and let them pray the prayer of faith over him. Do you know that most churches don't practice that? So you do, maybe you just ought to tear James 5 out of your Bible if you don't believe that. But notice whose responsibility it is. Is it the elders of the church, including called out, ordained men and women? Is it our duty to run out there and try to get you to submit to the prayers of spiritual leadership? Or is it your duty to come and ask for it? 
I'm just doing a little teaching here. I, I, just who is the onus on in this passage? The sick one, let him call. The one who has physical disorder, right? I was so proud of Squealy Mason the other day. I mean, she asked me for the church and the leadership of the church to pray over her before her surgery. And uh, went great too, didn't I? Thank you, Lord. And uh, you know what? <clears throat> when you're sick, sometimes it takes, oh man, you just don't want anybody to know it. And I understand that. I get it. I'm that way myself. But sometimes you need to say to those in spiritual leadership, I have a need and I want to obey the scriptures. And uh, you know what that means for me? Because a lot of times I've told Dina, don't tell anybody and they got this. <laughs> Whose fault is that? Mine or God's? Mine, right? Right? You know what the truth is? You can use all the prayer you can get. Amen? You can use all the prayer you can get. I've learned that the hard way. So, if part of humbling ourselves is admitting we have a need and admitting we have a need for prayer, uh, that's something we ought to I'm preaching to the choir now. I'm getting a little correction here because I don't like anybody to know when I'm sick, right? Do you? No, neither. But how many of you know that sometimes we have to decide what we're going to do? Are we going to obey the Lord or are we just going to keep our privacy? <laughs> okay, y'all uh, can uh, just do what you want to with that. I'm just telling you what the Word says. The power of concerted prayer has to do with us humbling ourselves and admitting our sin. It also has to do with us when we're in a place where we can't help ourselves. We're, we're sick. We, we need some help. But I want you to see something else here. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, the power of concerted prayer by church. Now, I want you to notice something here in chapter 12 of Acts, beginning with verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king, this was not Herod the Great, this was Herod Agrippa I, stretched out his hand to harass some from the early church. Look at verse 2. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Are you kidding me? Have you ever read that? Don't you remember when Jesus went and called the disciples? The first two he called were James and John, brothers. Don't you remember that? So here is one of the first men that he called to be his disciple that got murdered by a wicked man. You think that would mess with the church a little bit? You think that would disturb the peace? Don't you think somebody might be saying, God, why did you let that happen? Well, 
maybe two of us would have asked that. Maybe the rest of you are too holy for that. But why did you let that happen? This was not James, the half-brother of Jesus, who became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. This was James, the brother of John, who was the first man called out or one of the first as a disciple. And he was murdered. And notice verse 3, hearing that that it pleased the Jews. This is not genetic uh, Jewish people. These were the religious leaders who hated Jesus and the cause of Jesus. He proceeded further to seize Peter also. Remember, Peter, James, John, they were all Jews themselves. So this is not about being in a Jewish race. He proceeded further to to seize Peter also. And it was during the days of unleavened bread so that when he had arrested him, he put him, Peter, in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So notice verse 5. By the way, don't you think that would shake the church up just a little bit? John, uh, James, the brother of John, had already been murdered, one of the prime 12. And now they've got Peter. And he's been put in prison. Now, but, uh, again, remember, four squads and, and a, a quadrant was a, a, a group of four soldiers. So 16 soldiers were guarding Peter. He had the attention of 16 soldiers. Verse 5 says Peter was therefore kept in prison and what? Look at verse 5. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Don't forget that right there. Constant prayer was offered to him by the church. Wow. And when Herod was about to bring him out of prison that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, verse 7, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison and struck him on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, verse 8, Gird yourself, put on your outer garment, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And the angel said, put on the garment and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And, did, and Peter did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they got past the first and second guard post, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city that opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, A girl named Rhoda came to answer, and when she recognized, listen to this, this is hilarious. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she got so excited, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced, 
Hey, y'all, Peter's standing out here. They said to her, notice how what strong believers these people were. They said to her, you're insane. You're beside yourself. You're crazy. Now, there's a strong testimony of faith, isn't it? I'm praying about it, and there he is. No, he's not. <laughs> You're beside yourself. Yet she kept saying that it was so, and so they said, oh, well, it's his angel. It looks like him. It's his angel. You do know that every one of you have at least one angel assigned to you in this earth. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. How many of you know it's, it's okay to pray mightily and still be astonished when you see the result? He's not going to beat you up. But motioning to them with his hand, verse 17, to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James, that is James the the pastor of the church at, at Jerusalem, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. I want you to see in the context of this, and I don't have time to go into any more detail, but look down at verse 24 toward the end of that chapter. The word of God grew and multiplied. Last time what we talked about is that sometimes God does things or allows things that will bring him glory. Remember we talked about God hardened the heart of Pharaoh to show his great delivering power. You may say, well, Pastor, why would in the world would God allow James to be murdered? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I do know. One minute James was standing before Herod's henchman, and the next moment he was in the glory of God, never to have any more pain the rest of his being and his eternal life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't get confused and upset about this because James graduated. He got the blessing. Can you imagine the blessing of being the first disciple Jesus called and seeing him face to face and being in his presence forever with no more of this stuff down here? Do you think that James got a raw deal? He got the good deal. Remember, Peter lived out his life and was martyred for his faith. Tradition tells us was crucified upside down. Because he refused to allow himself to be crucified in the same posture as Jesus. Here's the point. God showed himself mighty, mighty, mighty power. Mighty, mighty glory. Through the miracle that he did for Peter. So here's what I want to tell you, church. I am praying earnestly, earnestly, earnestly for Brother Joe and Sharon that God would show forth his glory. That he would show forth his glory. 
that God would do a mighty work that would give him glory and that would encourage the saints and that the word of God would continue. I talked to Joe this week. And uh, he and I both agree, he's not done. There's time for him to bear fruit. I am praying. I can't, I'm, look, I'm not smart enough to figure it all out. I just pray that God would show his glory. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Show us your glory, Lord. We'll give you all the glory and the honor and credit for it. Understand this, it would be better for every one of us to go into the glory of God. Every one of us. But I'm crying out that God will do something on the earth because we need it. Amen? To see his glory. When we pray concerted like the church did, It gives God a stage by which he does a mighty work and brings himself glory. You say, well, pastor, couldn't he do it without prayer? Of course he could. But he makes choices to do things in the context of prayer that are his own choices. He's sovereign. Let's turn briefly to Matthew 16. Jesus was talking about prayer And he was giving his disciples and us a lesson in prayer. In Matthew 16, he's taking a census as to uh, among the disciples about what people are saying about him. He was doing all these miracles and he was doing mighty teaching under the authority of the Spirit of God. And he said, by the way, verse 13, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, But he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the anointed one. Christ in the original language means the anointed one. Well, you know what a Christian is, a Christian is, don't you? It means little anointed one. Hallelujah. So he said to them, who do you say? And Peter said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Now watch this. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for man didn't show that to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But my Father who is in heaven showed you that. And I say to you that you are Petros. You are Peter. You are not Simon. You're not shifting sand. You're Petros, bedrock. And on this rock, Not on you as a man, but on the rock of the revelation that I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. On the basis of that rock, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Have you been through a gate lately? A gate is not an offensive weapon. It is a defensive weapon. I want to tell you something here today. God, give us revelation. Hell is not on the offense. It's on the defense. And when you take the name of the anointed one, you can assault those gates and set free some of those things behind those gates. 
Then he goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been, and been loosed in heaven. What is he talking about? The context of, look, I will build my church. He's talking about the assembled. The, the church is ecclesia in the Greek. It means those assembled together in unity, in my name. The gates of hell can't stand against it. Man, oh man. We say, Pastor, I can't tell everybody every time there's something I need going on. Well, now look. Go over to chapter 18 and I'll show you something. This same thing. He repeated this same word in chapter 18 in verse 18. Are you there? Assuredly, I say to you, Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice the context. He's talking about the church. He's talking about issues in the church. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree, listen, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You better watch who you're agreeing with. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Where's your core? Where's your core of agreement? To really pray in power is not only in binding and loosing in the name of Jesus. Now, you can't just make something up and say, I think I'm going to loose the world lottery, the Powerball. What Jesus is talking about is when you pray in line with my word and my will, you can bind and loose in agreement with my word and my will, not this other nonsense. Amen. So, do you have a core? Where two or more of you are gathered together in my name, do you have a core of like-minded believers that you can get in agreement prayer with? It's powerful. It's powerful. In fact, Jesus said, you don't have to wait for a corporate meeting. You can have two or three of you gathered in my name, and I am right there in the midst of you. So you don't have to say, oh, I've got to get in touch with the, with the pastor and I've got to broadcast to the church. Listen, God's got a core of two or three that you don't always have time for that. You can have an emergency meeting right there and get in agreement prayer. Amen. So uh, here's a question for you. What have you gone to heaven about in agreement prayer that has to do with binding something that is working against the, the very heart and the mind and the will of God. What are you uh, getting in agreement with in loosing things that Scripture documents is something the Lord is doing or wants to do? Where are you using the authority that you have in prayer? Jesus. The power of agreement. Lord, give us a revelation of that. Show me where we're missing it. 
And help me to humble myself and submit to what your word says is your, what you want to do. Listen carefully to the Lord. The power of concerted prayer. Here's what I want you to do. I'm asking you, I've never done this in the years that I've been pastoring this flock. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you that this Saturday, somewhere in the two-hour time frame of 7 to 9 a.m. this Saturday, that you get into prayer agreement with your church family and you pray about the crisis, the, the critical issues that we as a church family can all be common together about. I'm asking you to join Dean and me in some time between 9 and 11 a.m. this Saturday. And I'm going to send you an email about it. And by the way, if you're not on our email list, please drop it in that box back there and let us know so we can communicate with you. You don't have to pledge your life away to do that. We just want to communicate with you. Listen, somewhere this Saturday you find a place, and I want you to get in prayer sometime during those two hours, and I want you to focus on the crisis that we have as we are doing what the church in Jerusalem did for Peter. I want us to pray for Joe and Sharon. I want us to pray that earnestly for God to show his glory. I want us to pray for Herman and Beverly Lance. We kind of miss seeing them up there, don't you? Linda always sits with them, and she's been a blessing visiting them and taking care of some of the things that she does so well. And uh, listen, I won't. And if there is a deep crisis that you want the prayers of the church for, you can let me know, and I'll process it. But here's, uh, you don't have to, look, if the Lord leads you to fast and pray, you do that. If he doesn't, you don't do that. But sometimes on Saturday, I want us to have a concerted time of prayer and ask God to intervene and show his glory. If you will do that and commit to doing that at some point between 9 and 11 next Saturday, I want you to stand with me. Stand with Dean and me, that you will do it. Now, Father, we thank you for your holy and mighty word. We thank you that you have ordained, you have ordained to use the vehicle of prayer to accomplish things on this earth for your own choice, for your own glory. And we say all over the place, Lord, in your word, where you've done things in response to the prayers of your people. We see that promise that if we'll humble ourselves and we'll pray, and we'll seek your face and turn from anything you show us, like my own pride that you showed me, Lord, like my own lack of forgiveness and blessing, that you'd heal our land. You'd heal that which concerns us. 
Father, you've shown us in your word that we have authority in Jesus' name to pray in line with his word and his will and see things bound and loosed. Forgive us for our unbelief and our negligence. Forgive us for our pride. Father, we thank you that we can join together as a faith family and have concerted prayer And Lord, we just pray believing that you'll show your glory. Show your glory, Lord. Show your glory. I ask you to give breakthroughs here, Father, for these, everyone in the sound of my voice. For those, God, who are listening, who need to know your love and grace, oh, give them a breakthrough. Lord, just open their hearts to believe. Father, show Dina and me, show everybody under our leadership, show us, Lord, where we need to humble ourselves. Show us where there's anger or unforgiveness. Show us where there's blame or judgment. Show us, Lord, anything that is impeding the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our inner man. Father, we pray that you would remind us that the well-being of ourselves, of our children, our grandchildren, our business, our body, that it's all connected to us humbling ourselves. We admit to you, God, we're totally dependent on you. And apart from you, we are nothing and can do nothing. But in you, we are ready for anything, equal to anything through him who strengthens us. We thank you, O God. Would you just take a moment now and express your heart in prayer to the Lord? Show us your glory, Lord. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God. He's going with you. See you then. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.